everybody, and welcome to episode two of the Aqualand podcast. I am here, as always, with Jonathan. Say hello, Jonathan. Hey, or Swafford, whatever. Or Swafford. You want. Oh, I like to call you Jonathan. It makes it feel like it's official business. It's professional. Okay. Yeah, that's okay. And I'm also here with Eric. Eric. Hey guys. Uh, today we are going to well, we have a really good show for you today uh, we're going to talk about uh, upcoming news in the Aqualam universe uh, releases things that are going on uh, we have an interview with Jason Alexander Byers a wonderful visual artist and the singer of Black 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 uh, among other bands yeah. Also, uh, Jason was the singer of sort of a legendary Cleveland band, Disengage. Uh, they had a record on Man's Ruin. And then before that, kind of a cool hardcore band, uh, Varicose. So we, we, we get into with Jason pretty deep. Um, so let's get into yeah, Aqualam so News. Yeah, let's get into so Aqualam News. There's a bunch of things going on. A bunch of releases in the pipeline. We'll start talking about them as we get into this more uh frail just had a released a um behind the doom mini documentary right eric which you ended up like edit helping edit with those guys yeah they the band shot it and um had a rough edit and we just kind of tightened it up a little bit and added some a few titles and then kind of cut in the, the songs from their record and this premiered on was it Decibel magazine? Yeah, it was. Pre- it premiered, I think, Friday on Decibel. And it's, it's out there now. But check it out; it's really interesting because they go into detail of like like how they crafted the songs, and it was really the band's idea to do this. I, I think we should do this with all the bands. Yeah, they were a great interview too. Uh, just talking to all of them uh, was interesting to hear how they came up with their sound and how it was just sort of like right place, right time. And they sort of just like knew what they needed to do. Yeah, and speaking of that, that their record, despite this, you know, shitstorm that's going on, I think we're sold out. Kudos to those guys for selling out. When did we release that? February. Yes. So now, yeah, they sold all of the vinyl, (laughs) and so now we're on. We're on to the second pressing. So So thank you to everybody who bought a copy of the Frail record. Yeah. Um, and there was Friday, last Friday, there was a Bandcamp thing. So like, um, Bandcamp passes, doesn't take out their fees and passes it on to the labels and bands. So like, I think that's a really cool thing they're doing. Those Bandcamp Fridays, I think there's like two more coming up in uh, May and June. So people could pay attention there. So everybody go to Decibel Magazine and check out the premiere of, what's the documentary called again? It's called Behind the Doom. Behind the Doom. So go uh, to Decimal Magazine and check out the new frail documentary Behind the Doom. Uh, Also, Swafford, you were telling me about uh, COVID covers. Yeah, Uh, so this was was an idea that actually came from Black Black Black's drummer, uh, Jeff Ottenbacher. He was doing this cover song called How Long. So anyway, uh, there's a slew of musicians on it. It has... Steve from uh, the New Lou Reeds, a, a really cool Cleveland band. James Brown, who's actually f- produced a bunch of our records. Uh, including our record. Yeah, including Space Merchants, uh, Lopan, Vagina Panther is playing keyboards on it. It has uh, June from Vagina Panther uh, doing backups. 
uh, who else? Ani from the Space Merchants also doing backups. Um, so the idea that we're trying to do with this project is we'll have a, a t-shirt and a song. We'll try to do one like every month or every other month. It kind of depends how fast we can push them out. We'll have an artist do a t-shirt. This time we had uh, the artist Dave Singley do a t-shirt. So you buy the t-shirt and you get the song download. And we'll also have it like streaming everywhere. So, And then the sales of the single go to benefit who? Yeah, so the sales of the single go to benefit the music industry. So like all the nomads. So like uh, bar, bar people, uh, musicians, producers, engineers. That's so all, all the proceeds go, go to that. So which we think, you know, I, I think it's one thing Eric and I have been talking about is just like how to survive and get things working in different ways, like during this time period. Um, I, I know people have gone during these band camp things and a few people bought space merchant records and that little bit of money has definitely helped me out. Yeah. Um, you guys actually like, did pretty well this weekend too. So it wasn't, you know, that much, uh, it wasn't a crazy amount of money, but like literally when you're make when you're out of work and you're making like no money, it's yeah, uh, it is really helpful. It, yeah, it really helps. Half of our bands are touring bands. The other half, they I think all of our bands also have like day jobs as well, so like to supplement their income. Well, um, pretty much everybody. I mean, we're we're like a working, the working man's label here. <laughs> we're all yeah. there's. I mean, there's no. There's no yeah. So there's like you know everybody's trying to multitask and like do a bunch of things. I know we're planning on doing a song. Uh, yeah, as well. I, I'm coordinating. Uh, but I'll update you on a uh, yeah on that later. Sender's gonna do a song if Eric can get everybody to agree, right? Yeah, it'll happen <laughs> one way or the other. We'll definitely um, be cool. Uh, yeah, so but I think I, it's a cool. I think it's a fun thing. So uh, that'll be out really soon. We'll we'll pop out links um and, and keep on the podcast and we'll keep you updated on uh what songs are coming out when yeah so let's get into jason alexander byers i've known jason since i was like probably like uh 16 um seen him sort of progress as an artist and a musician throughout all of his bands so uh he pretty much knows everybody um so he has a lot of stories and within the art world and the music world. Um, so. Or at least everybody in Kent, Cleveland, uh, Ohio, and New York City. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. He has an interesting story, and there's a lot of stuff that he like talks about. I think on this particular interview, <laughs> it was two hours, but we had to edit it down so much. <laughs> yeah, no, it was fun talking to him. Uh, so here's that interview. We're here with Jason Alexander Byers, noted uh, musician, visual artist. We're with uh, Mike G and Eric. How you holding up, Jason? Good. You're in New York. Toughing it out. Yeah. It's, uh, you guys um, are missing it. Excitement. Yeah. I was down there the other day and it was still like pretty crazy. Yeah. I pretty yeah. much just walk from the apartment to the studio, spend the whole day here, turn around, walk back. What neighborhood are you in? I'm in Bushwick. I'm near the the studios right by the hospital at, at uh, on Broadway, and I was passing the Wyckoff Hospital, and that's when I'm like, oh, there's a stretcher with a body on it, and two guys in hazmat. Oh, I'm like, oh yeah, and then the, the second one follows. I'm like, oh shit, it's a train of bodies going on the truck. That's when it hit me. 
I was like, yeah. oh, all right, it is real. Jason, you're you're in one of the Aqualand bands, Black Back Black, but you've been in a few bands before that, a bunch of bands, and you're sort of a noted visual artist as well as like a, a music guy from all the bands you've been in, from uh, you know the first band Varicose to Disengage, which you know uh, was pretty well known. Tell us, like, you know, you, you're you're a Pittsburgh guy. Like, tell us, like, how you like grew up. What sort of influenced you to make the complex person that you are? Uh, yeah, it's rough. <laughs> well, I guess I had some, or I have some pretty interesting parents. Uh, my mom was an elementary school teacher. My dad worked in the steel industry. He was a painter also. So he, they are very open-minded, especially my dad introduced me to a lot of things that I don't think many kids were either heard or saw at that time, at that age. So I can remember uh, like Bowie at a very early age, uh, mm. Diamond Dogs in my lap, like the, the, the gatefold, just staring at it like, what is this? You know, I didn't sing along, didn't know how to pronounce R's, but still, you know, going crazy. And then it, that progressed to like him listening to very early Talking Heads. And one artist I always will never forget is Grace Jones. He loved Grace Jones. So I always heard what I didn't know were covers at that point, like Warm Leatherette, Nightclubbing, and a bunch of other great songs. And then he started introducing me to movies, which I think I saw Altered States way too young to see that movie because it really like <laughs> how, how old were you when you uh, uh well it w- the movie came out in 80 so it must have been like 83 or so and that that blew my mind and i ken russell i've been a fan of his ever since i was also playing hockey at the time which is like one of the biggest uh, influences of my life is playing hockey being on a team having tough coaches and all that kind of things kind of given me the discipline that i have now to do the art and the music and everything else and then from that hockey, you actually got a scholarship, right? The Kent State well, University. I, I didn't get a scholarship. I was going to go to Ohio University, and that's where I was supposed to play. Something went wrong. I was a terrible student in high school. Kent State accepted me. All my coaches talked to their coaches, all that kind of thing. No scholarship, but I walked on their division. Oh, okay. I made the team. But the what leading up to that, what also got me into the, the music scene was because I was playing travel hockey, a lot of those guys were into punk and hardcore also. And we would just trade records and tapes back and forth. So we'd have like these long drives out to Yeah, so like, so what what is what is travel hockey for the non hockey fans well, out there? Like I, I always most kids play for their high school teams and they play for a travel team, which means that you're gone half the year on the weekends. So you have like tournaments, you're playing tournaments. Sometimes you have to take off days of school. Um, so that means you're playing six days a week, at least, and you're with practices and games for both your high school teams and your travel team. So, you know, what was like the first record? Yeah. That blew your mind. You're like, what is this? There was a kid who was older than me. We were not on the same team, but his older brother was influencing all of us. And I can remember him, Somehow I got a hold of Dead Candy's Fresh Fruit for Rotting Vegetables. And that was like probably two years after it'd come out. You know, it was, you know, fairly recent. It just blew all of our minds. And that tape just went around pretty much everybody on the team. It was like, what the fuck is this? This is insane. And then from that point, 
we all kind of discovered uh, Carnegie Mellon's radio station, or call letters WRCT, had a ton of great shows. Introduced us to all kinds of hardcore. We would tape all the shows. That's how I was introduced every, all this music, all this hardcore and punk was through playing hockey. And then as far as like the Pittsburgh scene, you know, did you go to shows? Oh, yeah. I, I lucked out. The very first show I ever saw was Black Flag on their last tour. And they played this roller rink outside the city. And from then on, I tried, I pretty much saw every show that I could. But, you know, I, it was my first show. I didn't know what to do. I'd seen things on TV. I knew what slam dancing was. I knew all that kind of stuff. But this was also Black Flag's last tour. So they were playing the really weird mid-tempo metal rock that everyone was confused. <laughs> Not, but, you know, I wasn't because I loved those late records even then. But, you know, people are like, let's get a circle pit. And I'm standing by the PA like, what are you doing? Like, you're gonna, I'm going to die. But there was like no circle pit. That was not circle pit music. But that was my first show. And then after that, luckily, um, the, the local bands were incredible in Pittsburgh. You know, Half-Life being you know, one of my all-time favorite bands to this day. Uh, Eviction, Castle Blood, uh, Battered Citizens. And most of those guys that were in those bands when I was a kid are still playing to this day. Oh, you are wearing a Black Flag shirt too. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Fuck. So when did you decide to start playing music? Oh, um, well, I'd always wanted to. I didn't, never thought it would be possible. When I was at Kent State, it was insane. Hockey was take, had taken over my life. You get up at 6 a.m., you do like what, you know, you work out, you have ice time at 10 a.m., you go to classes, you have ice time that evening. And, it, and that's a daily thing. And I can remember one time I was, I had like a Misfits shirt on or something. And some kid walked up to me. He was like, hey, Misfits. You know, it's like freshmen. You're trying to make friends. And from him, I met all these other guys. A lot of people who went to Kent State at that time had grown up in the same neighborhood. Either Kent, where the school is obviously, and Stowe, they share the same border. So I met all these kids. I kind of drifted away from sports and into music. And I quit playing. And first thing I want to do is once I quit was to join a band or start a band. And two years later, that's when Varicose formed. It, it's just, it was a perfect environment to be in at that time. It was like a, just a mixture of the punks, the hippies, the metal guys, the hardcore kids. They all knew each other. What yeah. year is this? During that time. It was, uh, well, I started going to shows there in the late 80s and Varicose started in 1990. You know, you go to a party and I'd see all my friends there. Nothing but the Grateful Dead playing. Go to another party. <laughs> Same group of people and nothing but Cro-Mags playing. You know, it just, it just didn't matter. You know, it was a really fun time. You know, there's this band Hyper as Hell, which uh, they are the kings of Kent. In my mind, they were one of the best hardcore bands ever, crossover bands. So Veracos was heavily influenced by them. You're like kind of like a baby Hyper as Hell. <laughs> Inside. 
Like, did you go in as an art major to Kent State? Or no, no. You decided to get into art. Uh, right, right. When I quit playing hockey, most of those kids that I met also were art students and I lucked out, had a great professor who became my advisor, Paulo Keefe. Um, he's a sculptor, just lucked out having him as my advisor. He took me to New York city for the first time, me and another student, Marker Gazis, the two of us went with him and didn't look at art once went to times square (laughs) 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 and it was still you know, seedy. We did, cut tail, tail did end you go that. to a show? <laughs> no, we didn't. Just walked around drinking, you know, on the street. But, you know, trying to absorb everything we were seeing, which was blowing our minds. And then, I don't know, just uh, Paul O'Keefe was such a good influence on me and all those other guys that I'd met that were in the music scene were also uh, in the art departments. So was th- is this also the same time you started making uh your visual art as well yes a lot of it i've I've mentioned his name several times now but i started out i was so influenced by paul o'keefe my advisor that i was making very similar these vessels um out of steel uh stainless or aluminum whatever i had whatever i could afford you know there was a hardware independent hardware store down the street from the studio you just walk down there and you know whatever you can afford you get you know they they had a mig welder tig welder and arc welder and uh, so I, you know, attempted to, you know, weld as, as much as I could. Never got very good at it, but, but that's why I met Mark Taylor, Jason Lee, and these guys are still. Mark Taylor was in Veracruz. Jason Lee is a uh, head of the arts department at West Virginia University. He's a great artist too. You know, it's just like all these people. Uh, Andy Harmon, who who lives here. Amy Sarkissian, who lives in LA, all these people are still making art. So it's, a, it's really just such a great environment to be in that school at that time. Yeah, so, I remember in undergrad, like one of my art professors, Don Harvey, uh, he, he said this thing that what, it just struck me. is like, if you're still making art 20 years after you graduate, you, you've made it as an artist. If you're still like, even if you're not like making millions of dollars, but if you're still making art, how long did Veracos last? Was that mainly a college band or did that go after college? No, it was a college band. It was about two years we recorded. Um, we had an EP, six song EP, and then we did a full length. EP was released, full length never was, but now they're, we're talking about it now, finally. Mark Taylor found the guy who did the production and found the DAT tapes and all that stuff. So that there's a process going of uh, possibly releasing that soon. Once that band ended... I was in the process of uh, trying out for another band. Karma to Burn, yeah. I remember, right? Right. Yeah. And, uh, was that before Disengage or after? It was before. the same time. Yeah. So, so, uh, Disen- yeah, so- or, uh, Veracos broke up. And around the same time, I had met all the guys who would later become in Disengage. And then they were like, oh, you got to meet our friends, Karma to Burn, who I had never heard before. They were from West Virginia at the time. They were instrumental. And they uh, were about Roadrunner was interested in signing them, but they wanted them to have a vocalist. I was introduced to Karma to Burn, and uh, they liked me. I went hung out with them in West Virginia, practiced a few times, sang with them a few times live. It just didn't work out. They didn't like what I did, so I came back to Cleveland area and talked to the guys who became disengaged, like. Uh, Brent McDowell and Mike Callahan, Jonathan Morgan.
you know, what struck me is like, I think all of us were like, why did Carmen Byrne get a singer? (laughs) They did that one record with the singer, that Roadrunner record. And then after that, they just kind of went back to being instrumental, which I think was the strongest point in that band. Um, Yeah, they they never wanted a singer. They just wanted that record deal. And uh, the singer, his name was Jason. He and I uh, talked quite a few times. And uh, I was really glad they didn't ask me to do that because he was miserable because uh, he knew that the fans, they wanted them to be an instrumental band. He, could, he knew the band wanted to be an instrumental band in this really weird position. So I'm glad, uh, glad that didn't work out for me. Let's get into disengage. And so how, how did that start? Cause I remember disengage. I think, I think that's when I, like I was actually in that band engine core with Wamus. Right. And we started playing. And I think that's when we, you guys first started out. I think it's when we first met you guys. We like, we played a show with you guys and like you guys had just started. How did that form? Like I went to high school with Mike. So like I knew him around that time. And you know, this is like Kent Akron area. I just remember that the music scene was just, there were so many bands, so many like good shows, you know, what was Mike was in this other super popular band that, and uh, Jonathan and Brent were in that band. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and Varicose was going on at that time. And that's how we met. We did shows together. And then Mike and I would talk. We had the same influences, like, you know, the same hardcore and punk influences, but we also listened to Soul Side, you know, which was a, a band on Discord that really nobody ever listened to. And we were like, you listen to them? You know, Jonathan was from Pittsburgh. He went to Mount Lebanon. I went to Baldwin. We shared uh, basically the same border. And oh yeah, I totally forgot about that. Yeah, did you so, did you guys know each other? No, we didn't. No, he's one year older than me, and we didn't. We had never crossed paths. And I, I'm sure that I saw him. I'm sure that he saw me. You know, that's like forming a new band, right? Because you guys were another band. So, like, what was the premise of that? We we never had a, a plan. We never had a, a sound that we wanted to go for. Did it? But then you guys ended up having a sound. You guys were like, oh basically, yeah, yeah. Uh, Black Flag meets Led Zeppelin in a way, which is, you know, even still carried on to like Black, Black, Black. And again, Black, Black, Black ends, has half the members of Disengage. So of course there's going to be similarities there. But but then talk about Disengage because, you know, you guys had a big record on Man's Ruin. You guys toured extensively. Like you guys yeah, really, we, we had, you guys really uh, tried to go go for it. Yeah, I mean, when, there was always uh, a buzz around us and we would play these you know, really big shows. We'd play out of town. We'd play big shows and met several uh, A&R reps, um, several dinners, several free flights, several hotels. You know, you name it, we had it because there was such a buzz about us and a lot of labels were interested. And we had one offer from a good, really good label and a great A&R guy. I think it was a cross between our lawyer and someone else uh, turned it down saying that we needed more, which we didn't. We would have taken the, that, that uh, offer easily. Yeah. Um, what, what, what was that label? Columbia. And then, we, and then after that, we had a couple of meetings with some other really big labels and some other uh, really big people. That was so long ago now, I can't remember any of the names, but I know, you know, I remember in being in the meetings and, oh, this is so-and-so, they signed Pearl Jam or whatever, you know? Yeah. And at the time, we had a really good lawyer um, who had, you know, she was worked with some, you know, Soundgarden and 
shit, a couple other uh, very popular bands that I can't recall right now. But yeah, something happened with that. And looking back on it, I don't think that we would have fit that label anyways. And, you know, at that time, like corn was bit getting big and, you know, we, we would never uh, conform to any like sound or appearance, you know, it was like disengaged was disengaged, you know, it's like, so I don't, I don't think that it would have been, would have gone over very well, but you know, why not try it? You know, it's just sign up. Yeah. try it you know it's just sign us yeah so so then how did you end up getting on man's ruin i think that had to was a, a friend of our lawyers uh got a demo and gave it to frank and that's how that that deal happened but then like at that time like that label i feel like was the sst of oh yeah of, of, of their day because like everybody that was on it at the time that you guys were on it they're big influential bands and a lot of them are still playing fu manchu like, i think high on, high on fire melvin's had um, some stuff on it melvin queens of the stone age had their very first ep on there uh, yeah yeah so going into disengaged and you guys ended up doing touring a bunch you've told me before that kind of like killed the band in certain ways well, um, I killed, it killed, yeah, it killed me. <laughs> like, yeah. I, I had no fun, but, uh, you know, I went along with it and, you know, it's the same thing every day. You have to play every day cause you're not making any money. Uh, yeah. so you have to play every day so you can, you know, get, you know, the gas money to get to the next town. Hopefully you sell some shirts, whatever. It's not like Europe where you're treated well. You don't, they don't feed you or put you up. And I just got tired of it. It's, it's just, it's not easy. And especially being a vocalist and being someone who, uh, stresses out a lot and has some anxiety and uh, is constantly worried about their voice and these clubs had shitty monitors so you all day you'd be like on your way to the club you'd be like my my voice feels totally messed up which it was because i've been singing every fucking day and you yeah. get to the you get to the club you do the sound check which always sucks because you can't hear yourself anyways you wait till you hit the stage and you, I'm just stressing out. This is going to suck. This is going to suck. And then you get on stage and can't hear yourself, but you're also partying. So you end up having fun. <laughs> so, you know, and then, uh, so we, we were a great live band. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I saw you guys probably a million times in Cleveland days. Yeah, um, cause, cause when, and once, then even when I moved to New York, uh, for grad school, you guys, came out and played CBGBs. I remember that show. Yeah. I mean, once, I saw once, you guys there. once we hit the stage, all of my anxiety was gone. I just didn't give yeah. a fuck. And like when, you know, when Mike was in the band, we always had this thing we would say to each other right before we went on stage is that, Hey, we're in space. That's all we would say. You know, like we're not out of town. We're not in Chicago. We're not in Cleveland. We're not in LA. We're in space. 
So that's, we're going to play like we're in space. So that was, that was our uh, little thing. Yeah, put us in the mood to, uh, you know. Yeah. about disengage too is some of like when you you guys sort of you guys were in akron you were at uh, mike's house um and then you guys like moved to cleveland mike had like left the band yeah jonathan um, jonathan was first to go to cleveland and then uh i followed right behind and then sean was in the band at that point yeah sean yeah. moved to cleveland so we were all sean in cleveland re- except replaced brent yeah and sean sean is on another band on label frail right who we just talked to in the last episode you guys like really dug yourself in the cleveland <clears throat> scene and then i remember that time like i wasn't i was i think i was in atlanta um then but you guys had actually got to open for black flag on the reunion tour and you're actually in henry rollins's book he mentions you guys yeah um so when black flag did a reunion thing and it wasn't really black flag it was basically the rollins band singing doing black flag with yeah, with Keith uh, Morris. With Keith Morris, Disengage is mentioned in uh, Henry Rollins' book um, when he's talking about the, those shows. So, like, how did, how did that come about? Because I, he was, from what it says in the book, he said that you guys had talked to Keith. They didn't even have an opening band on that tour. Yeah, we. Um, um, one of the labels that was interested in us was called uh, V2, which was a sub- subsidiary of Virgin. Um, I think, no, no, sorry, Interscope. Keith was acting as an A&R rep for that label and he saw Disengage once and we just hit it off and just, you know, he was, he wanted to sign us. Uh, things didn't work out with that, but uh, he and the rest of the band just kept in touch, uh, especially he and Jonathan hit it off really well. And the guy is amazing. They were in Cleveland and, they didn't have an opener. So Keith contacted Jonathan, I guess, and got that show. And then we played the next night too. In Columbus, I yeah. think that's where it was. Yeah. Nothing's influenced me more than, I mean, besides hockey and black flag, that's and my dad and, <laughs> and my friends. That's pretty much my second biggest influence is black flag. Like in, in my whole, everything I do, and I don't give yeah. a fuck about anything. I'm constantly working or sorry, I don't get. I don't care what other people think about what I'm doing. Is what I meant. But uh, we should say that you are literally wearing a black flag shirt and a penguin's hat right now. <laughs> yes. as we're talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> I did not plan this. <laughs> Let's just talk a little bit, like lyrically. You know, I think disengage. That was maybe a little more political than uh, you know what you're doing, black, 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 or whatever. But I think during that those moments and. Uh, disengaged in that time period, you were very political, like vocalist in certain ways. Yeah, we had a we had our own agenda for sure. Um, it just was uh, really important 
at that time, just as it is now, or as it has always been, honestly. Um, uh, yeah, Jonathan and I especially were really into the political side of it. And it, I mean, it's a lot like today. Um, there's just so much to write about. There was so much to write, to write about then. I still wrote in an abstract way about it. I wasn't like, fuck, you know, government, fuck George W. You know, it wasn't anything like that. It was, I did a roundabout way of doing it because I, I want it to be interesting. I want people to read into it. I don't want to give it away. We we're definitely politically motivated. Um, it's, and so, so was Veracos in a way. Veracos was more of like a environmentally motivated band, lyrically. And with Black, 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 it's kind of, I've just kind of let myself go in this, what I just write about whatever I want, just stream of conscious, not really, uh, this song is about, I don't do that anymore. I just, the way I write for Black, Black, Black is much more loose and abstract, but there are, it's, it's very dark, but there, it's very funny too. So getting back in the art thing, I remember in Disengage, we, I, there was a time that was so funny. We actually somehow it's like getting all the guys in Disengage jobs. Me and you worked together at this like oh my Irish God, pub. Yeah. Yep. And then I, I worked at a silkscreen place and I got Sean and Mike hired there at the Irish pub. It was the only job I ever got fired from. And it was because I was working like eight jobs and I was always late. And then the chick fired me and she's just like, I'm sorry, Jonathan, you were there. And then she said, you're fired. And you turned around and you were like washing dishes and she was there and you go, ha ha. And then you turned around and washed the dishes. But then I, I just remember that job because that job, they had like me and you like cooking. And <laughs> 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 I know I, I didn't eat one thing there. I didn't know how anything was supposed to taste. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah. Like, and we were like cooks with no experience. <laughs> but um, getting it more into the art side of things. So I remember, you know, I went to art school. And then I think I was in like Atlanta. I had moved to Atlanta. And then you hit me up. And I feel like this is like, for me, it was like when you, you sort of got, got into art, like hardcore, you had this art show, uh, The Towering which you curated. So right. you want to talk a little bit about, about that? Well, it started in Pittsburgh when uh, uh, the Pittsburgh Renaissance happened, when the skyline just got tripled in skyscrapers, like just out of the blue in the early 80s, all these like beautiful buildings went up. The skyline used to be like two buildings and then it became seven. You know? And uh, became interested in architecture around that time as a kid. You know, of course, you're watching movies, you're seeing the, the Chicago skyline, you're seeing the New York City skyline, you're seeing LA in movies. And then finally, like, disengage is touring. And now I'm seeing these things in person, seeing pretty much every major city's skyline, which, you know, I, I was obsessed with it. You know, read, had a ton of books and was reading, I knew all the architects, all the, you know, like how tall each building was. And uh, I love the Twin Towers. And people, uh, I know they failed as a business or uh, as an office building. They just, they just did not work. But to me, they are these huge monoliths remind me of something like they could have been in 2001 or something, you know, something crazy like that. And they also, they also had a lot of uh, detail in them, but pe people don't really see because they see them in the distance, these big black yeah. towers. Um, they're actually very Gothic if you uh, were to pay more attention to them. And post 9-11, I just felt like I wanted every, everything that was going on about that was more for the first responders and the, the, the people who had been killed and everything was based on that, which is, which it should have been. And initially it definitely was. And, but once that all passed, 
I kind of want to do something based on those buildings and what those buildings meant to people, if anything. And I got uh, as many artists as I could who liked those buildings and were influenced by them in some way. They each did a piece of art for that show. The, the artists who were in that show, you, you got a lot of really big... They weren't big, but it was a lot of really good artists up and coming. And some of them are big now. A lot of those guys got big, yeah. Where was that show? It was in Cleveland. In Cleveland? And uh, at Marty Jeremita's uh, gallery at that time. I, can't, I think it was called 1300, I think. Yeah, 1300 Gallery. I yeah. think that's what it was called. I should have brought that up, the, the list of artists. Arnie Tunstall was in there. Um, yeah, Stephen Kasner. Stephen Kasner was in there, um, who just recently died. Um, right. And viewers out there, if you haven't checked out his work, that's definitely somebody to check out. Um, and in that show, the other thing I thought was really cool was like, I didn't know your dad was an artist till like then. And oh, you said, yeah, he had a painting in there. Yeah. He had a painting. You said my dad hadn't painted, painted since I was born or something like that. No, he, yeah. Or, I, it was I don't like think years. He, he had, yeah, he hadn't painted since I was like five. I get, I don't think. Yeah. And yeah. And your dad, your dad was like, he, like, I remember his painting. It's like a, amazing watercolor he, he's doing he paints great stuff right now he's paint he paints birds of all things like i, I apparently i was influenced by his bird paintings and his <laughs> and his architecture paintings has your dad ever shown anywhere or just... no he hasn't well yeah no he has so and then so that's when you started getting art and then i remember then you started showing me some of the target stuff and, and i feel like then like you, you were making these crazy sculptures of like teeth and whatever. And then you just did this whole target series. So maybe talk to a little bit about that. Cause I, I feel like that is when, from my perspective, I started to see you really grow and become your own artist. Those pieces uh, actually influenced a lot of disengaged lyrics and vice versa. I did the first, the first piece I did was a screen print of the Sears Tower. And I did that piece because it was post 9-11, saw a picture of a little kid holding up a photo of Sears Tower saying, this, this building is next. Gave me the idea to print uh, a target of the Sears Tower as the, the Sears Tower were the crosshairs. And then from that, then I did a, a Twin Towers one. And then I just kept going with that whole idea. So... Okay, you're doing these targets, you're like making art, disengage, dissolves. Like what drove you to just like get up and like move to New York? Oh, I felt like I did all I could do in Cleveland and I wanted to do more. There's no other place to do it but here. Um, better late than never. I just had to get out of Cleveland and try it here at least. Your day job is like... Um, you work, work for a lot of really big galleries. Like I think you work at Gagosian and um, Gladstone. Um, those are two of the biggest galleries of the world dealing with like some of the biggest artists in the world. Like how is that as an artist yourself? It can be really frustrating, but I've really lucked out because Majority of the experiences I've had have been great. I've become friends with some of these artists. Uh, it's just, it's pretty surreal. It's like yeah, you know, I like remember twenty, when you 20 did, years you... ago. I was like reading books about these guys, and now I'm like hanging out with them. I'm like, what? yeah, <laughs> and like it's, remember... it's much different than hanging out with a band. You know, it's just yeah, totally. like I know pretty much. I've met at least met everyone who close to everyone who's been in Black Flag, including including Raymond Pettibone. 
But hey, you know, these guys, it's, it's much different. I remember you were telling me this story, like you, you gave Anish Kapoor a Black 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 record. <laughs> we just hit it off right off the bat for no reason, just small talk, whatever. And it was right after he had taken that patent out on uh, the Black, whatever uh, that... Yeah, Anish Kapoor made the blackest Black. Oh, he got, he got the patent for it. Patent for it. You are both in New York City, Swafford, Jason... You're, I don't know. How did Black 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 so, so, come about? Yeah, Jason. You, you, yeah, Jason. You picked up. You were living with me. We weren't even talking about bands. Uh, you were like, I'm. I'm just gonna do art. Um, then like a couple months later, you're like, okay, I want to do a band. Jacob's here. Jacob, who was in Disengage. Jacob was actually before he joined Disengage. He was actually in New York. He was like your guys's roadie, right? on a few disengaged tours when Mike quit disengaged, he took over and disengaged. I mean, he was in it like a long time. He was in New York city for a long time, came back. I don't know for what reason, but then he toured with disengaged doing merch and roadieing. And then Mike left the band and he took over on guitar. And then when disengaged broke up, I think he immediately moved back to New York city without talking to anybody. I didn't even know where he went. And then I moved here. Yeah. And I remember that. And you were like, okay, let's start a new band. Like, I think at that time I was like in Vagina Panther. And I was like, oh yeah, we got time. I'll I'll do this. It was cool because then you're like, oh, we got to get this other Cleveland guy, Jeff. He's a Cleveland guy. He was in the conservatives. I, I don't know if it's legendary, but a bigger band, influential band in the scene in Cleveland. And I would say like Cleveland had a scene, like there was like speaking tongues like i live right down the street from speaking tongues i mean there was there was a lot of stuff going on then so if you guys could describe what that sounds like like you you say there's like a cleveland scene and you're talking about all these bands but like what does that sound like like what would you i mean maybe use other bands maybe use genre whatever i mean here's the thing about the midwest it sounds like everything and nothing I don't, I don't know how you, Jason, maybe you can just describe it too, because all these bands were different. Oh yeah. Like, nobody sounded, no, nobody sounded. There, there was exactly just this like a, allegiance of, of people who didn't care about what others thought of them and uh, didn't care to fit in with the West or the East coast. They just did their own thing. And we all respected each other, even though we had nothing really in common, except for like, like being like-minded. Uh, <laughs> like shows were crazy because they made no sense. It, it did in Cleveland, though. It'd be like a psychedelic band, a hardcore band, a punk band, some weird tribute band followed by like the headliner who was... You know, like a noise not, band. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, it was like insanity then. Like, And I think that was the great part because like I would go and see like at the Yuko Tavern, like I would go see you guys. When Disengage was headlining all the time, that was our goal was to make every single show a complete mix of bands from all over the city that made no sense. So here's here's what I'm getting at is you guys come out. We're talking too much about Cleveland, right? No, it's good. It's good. So you guys, well, because Aqualam is such in a weird way, Cleveland. Very similar, though. Yeah. So, so Aqualam, it, it, it it's utilizing all these people. Now they're all in different bands. It's sort of like Cleveland comes to New York. It is. But as I was kind of trying to get at is like me being from Philadelphia, 
I, when I hear what Cleveland sounds like, whether that when I would hear like Keel Hall or like Craw or these bands, I was like, yeah, that sounds like what's happening out in that area of the country, whether it's where West Virginia, Pittsburgh and all these like weird, to me, it was like the stick. So I'm kind of like linking this because like Aqualand has a sound, but like, where does that sound like we're going to like explore this through all these interviews with Aqualam artists and the bands. I uh, mean, I, I think the sound and Eric is the same thing because it's like, uh, Eric's from Atlanta. I lived there for a few years and it, it it's a, I think it's a more of an artistic label than it's trying to be a certain sound. But I mean, like the- we're, we're down with artist weirdos, man. If you're like an artist weirdo, like we'll put out your shit. <laughs> but there's what I'm saying is like, there's a thread that does connect it all. Uh, whether it's intentional or not, like whether it's the ethos, it, it comes through sonically. Why is a band like the Space Merchants on 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 the, of the same label as Black 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 as Frail, which are you would say on the surface are three different, completely different bands, but like when you get into it, there's like common elements. Yeah, so I, I I would say the creativity and 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 for me, and I think this is like why I, uh, <clears throat> it's a weird thing. Everybody in our band are creatives, like in all the bands, like somebody's a creative in some fashion or another. I think there's like common references, like even if you're just talking about Black Flag or what you know, whatever. There's like common references for everyone. Where yeah. I think you could get everyone on the label in a room. And be like, I, I think it, it's uh, to me, it is very close to an SST, close to a Discord. You know, it's, right. It's, it's uh, very similar to those two labels. Uh, so, talk, so, talk about like with that in mind, like talk about you guys starting Black, 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 you know, four people coming from like a common reference. It's like from Cleveland music, you guys have the same experiences, you've seen the same bands, you. Like whether you know it or not, it's like you guys are. Yeah, uh, I think uh, what was nice about that that like we all knew each other. First record that Black 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 did, we wrote it in right, Jason. It was like one month. Yeah. It was written. Yeah. It it was like done in done. a month. Like it got out really quickly. Yeah. So Jason for like Black Black Black, you set the manifesto for that. Um, you were like no song over two minutes. And of course, some of the songs are over two minutes, but you set that stage. And then the other thing that you had said, one riff. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. like this is it's got to be like lungfish one riff well i got that i thought i retired after disengage i thought i retired and and i really didn't have any interest in anything uh uh five minute long songs i didn't have any uh pre-chorus to chorus verse pre-chorus pre-chorus verse verse you know none of that shit i didn't want to have anything to do with that type of songwriting ever again 
So I wanted to go do the minimal approach to it, minimal heavy. And uh, that's what we did. All those songs, like if you count them out, there's only like one or two riffs in it. And I will say like, yeah, compared to Disengage, Black, Black, Black is like way more weirder, way more abstract. It's like a different thing, but it's similar, but it's still because it's obviously we all come from Cleveland in that background. So the lyric content within Black, 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 I feel like it follows a little more of your artistic side of stuff where it's abstract. It's very loose. I had never... Uh, used influences like film or or uh, fine art before, or artists, I should say, uh, to write about. And this is the first time I did, and how I just have a lot of fun with it. Like I'll I'll uh, watch a movie. I can write about this movie, but in a way that it's gonna uh, also become contemporary and focus on some issues that are happening right now uh, in my life or in the world or the country, and just kind of twist it. Like, uh, mishandled cult funds was definitely influenced by 60s horror and manipulating it into something that's going on right now. Uh, what's um, the first song on Alter States of Death and Grace? Hey, that, uh, right there in the title, right there. It's a tribute to Alter States, obviously. Which is what influenced you as a yeah. six year old. Thirteen. Uh, and I'm gonna also, look at there's a song Jessup. Jessup. Jessup is on that album. Doctor Jessup is the main character in Altered States. William Hurt. I actually did not know that, dude. at your art there is sort of like a connection there with your manifesto with the music that you make with black 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 where there's like sort of like shapes repeated uh themes repeated throughout like a piece uh is is there like a connect it's like a is that conscious or uh yeah it is yeah i mean they they do and i can remember uh one of an artist telling me that who who also did music and and visual art he said he could never do them at the same time. And at, the, at that moment, I agreed with him. And, and then I realized that they should be together. They should, you should cram them together. And because they're going to influence each other, and you're going to come up with objects or words that you've never would have done before. Yeah. So, for instance, like the Black 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 song, Sword Like a Spider, that's like definitely based on architecture. Like, yeah, definitely architecture. Uh, definitely, uh, that that is based on. Uh, there's a lot of the movie Logan's Run in that in that song. Um, oh, nice! But definitely, it's also a lot of Anton LaVey in there. There's also a, a reference to um, bridge spiders, brown recluse spiders. Um, that like, I just smushed everything into that, and I've also done art pieces based on that song. So. Yeah, it's just this whole circle. 
influence one influences the other and i do both based on the same Either the art influences the lyrics or the lyrics influence the artist. Yeah, I think that's a so, perfect connection to interesting things about our label's format for releasing music is the book component that right. is very heavily visual. And a lot of the things that you've mentioned show up in the artwork for both the album cover and the, inside the book. I think yeah, so bo- both of the books, they're all you. It's your work. You, you basically created, directed it. I think the one thing that's interesting about you, like artistically, is like you're constantly trying new things. Like you're not sticking to like, all right, I'm the guy who, uh, you know, does this thing. You know, your last big series was um, the the sculpture, the Frankenstein pieces. Like maybe maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, those are uh, based on pretty much what uh, everyone's been talking about, like the targets and uh, from architecture and my interest in birds and other animals and skulls. And I did a series of the bird watercolors that are in the, the Altered States of Death and Grace book. I did a series of paintings of those, and I hadn't done any sculpture in 10 years. I was like, I might as well try these in 3D. So I did the birds in the same kind of like, like in the paintings, I just kind of smashed these birds together. So they create one form, but they're either at least two birds. They could be three, four, whatever. And I did them in a, as a, in a 3D sculpture form. So I got these birds and I just smashed them together. And after the birds, I was like, I should try this with other interests of mine, like the skyscrapers. And you know, anything I could find an object, they are mostly all found objects that I had created, you know, that I smashed together and then built up around them. And that's how the Frankensteins came about. And the same time, like all of my work in the past has been very minimal, meaning, you know, uh, uh, just shapes and black and white. The watercolors were the first time I've used color in years. Like, uh, I can't even remember the last time I used color. 
So I wanted these sculptures to also be vibrant. And that's when I started to call them Frankensteins because they didn't really make, they weren't one single thing. They were just several pieces. I know you guys, you've been on the road. You're no stranger to the road. What was that tour with Jackass? There was like a Jackass oh, like, tour. Uh, yeah. Like what, what's a crazy road story that you can, you can tell everybody out there? We, we had some uh, crazy experiences, of course, you know, with our great friend, Ryan Dunn, who passed away. Um, but my favorite story and one of the craziest stories I've, I have is, uh, is with El Duce. And this is two nights in a row. The mentors were playing and we're opening for them which is like a dream come true. The Menors are one of the most fucked up bands and how we got on these shows, I have no idea. Anyways, I go backstage. I'm by myself. No one else is backstage. I open the bathroom door. There's El Duce, nude. Uh, he had just taken a shower. He, and uh, completely nude, and he just looks at me. Hey! Sorry, so I was like, and I just closed the door. I was like, holy shit, man. I just saw El Duce naked. Really? How big was his dick? I didn't look. We just had <laughs> eye contact. Like, I wasn't going to look. So, you didn't even look down just to no, measure? To be like, I, I'm, I was in shock. I'm like face to face with El Duce, and I can tell he's naked. I was like, closed the door. The very next night, I go into the bathroom. I open one of the stalls and there he is taking a shit <laughs> looks up at me. He goes, Hey, <laughs> and then, uh, later that night, uh, there was a massive fight, complete brawl. Like I saw two by fours, like getting hit. You no, know, this is outside the bar. Like one of the where, biggest, where I, was this? I don't, I don't know what town we were in. I have no idea. It was a small, smaller city. Midwest or yeah, East definitely Coast? Midwest, Midwest. <laughs> and I remember it's somebody swinging a two by four around. I just remember it was just mayhem. People were beating the shit out of each other. And in the middle of this fight, Al Duce had gotten maced in the face. And he comes in to the bar, and Jonathan and I are at the bar. And Al Duce looks at me, and he's like, "Hey, man, you got some pain reliever." <laughs> and, and, I, and I just said, I just got a beer. I got a, got a Budweiser and I'm laughing with the bartender and I hand it to him. He looks at me and he's like, this is not the thing anybody's ever done for me. <laughs> like, he's like, my eyes are burning. And uh, Jonathan's like, oh, well, you need some milk. I don't know if that works or not. I don't know if Jonathan was fucking with him or... I think it does. I think okay. it does. All right. Well, yeah. he got he got some milk, <laughs> and then I didn't talk to him after that. But I gave him some pain reliever. <laughs> <That's> hilarious. <laughs> so that must have been uh, like mid nineties. Yes, totally. Yeah, and uh, a couple other interesting things about that guy. Uh, he passed away in ninety seven, but uh, he actually passed a lie detector test in a claim that Courtney Love offered him $50,000 right. to kill Kurt Cobain. Right. Yep. Which is pretty fascinating. Right. Uh, yeah. He, he, that guy has a long string of crazy stories about him. 
for sure. Oh, yeah. There's <laughs> legend yeah. in good and bad ways. Yeah. So, like, Jason, I, I'm sure we didn't cover everything we could cover. We'll do a black, black, black one um, because I think you just have a wealth of knowledge from all these, like, m- different music scenes. We, we covered a lot. This is gonna be a yeah, I hope it wasn't too Cleveland. Ex- you know. No, I think it. I think it gives a lot of context for just the yeah. label and what you guys are doing. Because I don't know, Cleveland is just such a main reference point for sort of everything that happens with Aqualam. I think. I mean, as far as I, the way I see it, not being from Cleveland, it was like a, definitely a, a reference point for everything Aqualam. But I will say this, Mike, there's a little bit of Philly is the same way. So like that band that was playing with the Jesus Lizard that night, yeah. those, what the fuck is their name? Uh, Piss Jeans? Huh? Which Not which Piss show? Jeans. No, the one in in Philly that I was at, that you knew those dudes. Uh oh, plaque marks. Plaque marks. Yeah, those are. That old. is a typical Cleveland band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're that's like, what I was they're saying. insane. That's they're what I was like saying. Insane. Like Cleveland has a sound. Like you, whether you guys like kind of realize it or not, but being on the outside looking in. It's like I recognize it. I'm like, damn, that sounds like Cleveland. You know, whether I don't it think it's anywhere sound. from like I think it's in in it's in a level of insanity because like that plaque mark bands. Jason, you should check them out. Plaque These guys marks? were plaque yeah, marks. like teeth plaque. So yeah, it's they, members they, of. They, do you know the band Ecstatic Vision? They're like a. Yeah. I think they put out a record on uh, Relapse Records. Uh, it's members of that band. It's members of this band, uh, Creepoids. Like a bunch of Philly people who have been playing forever. Isn't there? Yeah, yeah, forever. But they're insane. Like they wore clown suits. Yeah. Like it. It's like they were just. It was a fuck all. Like just a shit show. <laughs> and it would be like a lot of the Cleveland shows. I think one thing I appreciate about Cleveland, it's like nobody like gave a fuck. It was just like a shit show. Like yeah. who. Oh, show. Ohio like, was that way to me too. Like, yeah, uh, th- I mean, there was times I saw like you guys play like Disengage, and it was just like it was mayhem. It was just like insanity. Yeah, I mean, Philly has elements of that as far as like the DIY underground Philly scene that's happened for years and years, like with the Dead Milkmen and uh, even weirder harder bands like stinking lizabetta i mean i think there's a lot of being like a second tier city the D, especially in the diy aspects of it in the punk scene there's you get more adventurous because you're just like nobody's fucking listening to this like nobody cares what we do so we might as well just do exactly what we want to do yeah so jason thank you so much yeah for thanks being thanks for doing this fun So that's about it for episode two of the Aqualand podcast. Uh, so what are you guys listening to? What do you want to let the people know about that they should also listen to, watch, whatever? Well, one thing I got into, and then this was all because of Eric, because when we first started talking about the cover thing, he had mentioned 
uh, Beck's. I was listening to NXS and I was like, I was telling Eric, I was like, you guys should do an NXS cover. And then uh, Eric, you sent me that Beck project. What was that called? It was. Yeah, he had a thing called Record Club back in the maybe 10 years or so ago, uh, maybe a little longer. I think that was 2008 that he did that. And he was doing this thing called Record Club where he would get a bunch of people together in his home studio and just cover full records. I can't remember the other ones they've done, but they did kick from beginning to end. Um, yeah. And that, for me, that's one of my favorite records. I think like when that was like the thing that got me into uh, weird music. And then you, you sent know, me I, a link to that and it's so good. So yeah, I would definitely yeah. say, and check it, that it, out. it has like, you know, um, St. Vincent in it. Um, who else is in it? Isn't is one of the liars liars singer. Um, and, uh, some of the people from Osmiotantes are in it as well. Yeah, which is amazing. That's yeah. I love that band. So, Mike, what are, what are you all about now in your quarantine state? Well, I wanted to take a chance to talk about this cover that I did for this benefit compilation. But yeah, that Bill Withers cover. So yeah, I was kind of messing around with my sequencer, and I and I did a Bill Withers cover of Grandma's Hands. Uh, which is a song I just would play all the time on my acoustic guitar. But uh, I got asked to do uh, a compilation, which was a benefit for uh, Movimiento uh, Cosecha, which is a non—it's uh, a nonviolent movement fighting for permanent protection, dignity, and respect for 11 million undocumented immigrant immigrants uh, in the United States. So basically, the money raised by the compilation goes to help undocumented immigrant immigrants for whatever they're going through through the COVID oh, crisis. Right on. And then uh, where, where can people hear that? So they can hear that on Bandcamp. Uh, it's don't stop now a collection of covers.bandcamp.com. On Friday, we raised over $5,000. Uh, oh, that's amazing. For, really? Uh, wow. Yeah, which is pretty cool. And there's a right. bunch of like cool Philly artists on here. My friend Anika Pyle, who plays in uh, the band Katie Ellen, got me on the comp. And she has a song that I actually played drums on. It was one of her early demos that we did years ago. And uh, she was in a band called Chumped, like a like a pop punk band from New York, which is oh, how nice. I know her, which they have a song on there. There's just like so many artists on here. It's like, I can't even name half of them, but please go and, and download something because the money really goes to this great organization that's really doing some good work. And uh, nice. Eric, uh, I, I mean, I kind of stole your thunder with by, you know, you were, Showing me the NXS uh, oh, no. thing, but uh, what have you been getting into? Speaking of covers, I've been doing this weird dive on Spotify where I'll pick a song and then I'll find all the covers of that song. And I've been doing playlists. And what I'll actually do is I'll listen to these playlists and I'll like get in this weird zone where I'll listen to like 50 versions of one song. Oh, that's amazing. And actually, what we should do, Eric, and it'll be available. So there's an Aqualamb account on Spotify. and You can follow our playlist. We'll, f we'll have you put that playlist up there. I've been posting just on my own personal Facebook a, a handful of them. Uh, some really great versions of uh, Mongoloid by Devo. Awesome. Which is an Akron band. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've just, <laughs> Ohio. Uh, Ohio. Got to got to represent. Um, I've been trying to figure out how to sequence it because it's not only am I, you know, tracking down the covers uh, that range across different genres, but 
I'm actually trying to put these playlists together where it actually feels like something that makes sense to listen to from beginning to end. So yeah. How many mongoloids are there? There's only like 25 or so. Cause I kind of, I kind of I mean, whittled it down. That's, that's that is a lot. Yeah. There, there was another 15 that I kind of got that I just jettisoned because they weren't very interesting. I, I put together a playlist covers of I Want to Be Your Dog, which interestingly, because I'm not a very hip person, like the way that I came about that, like hearing that song originally was from Sonic Youth, from their record Confusion of Sex. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah. It, it wasn't until later that I, even really yeah. started paying paying attention to where that song originated and yeah so uh, and, and there is a connection through aqualam and space merchants from that for carter uh right. logan we actually yeah, sure. on that documentary we did some graphics right on that and I did documentary sound on, i actually did sound you, on you it did sound on that yeah i mean it was one of the coolest documentaries ever yeah and we're in the credits that was like like pretty rad it says so awesome it says aqualam in the credits um so yeah. thank you carter um, and it says mike gagino michael gagino in the credits as yeah. well <laughs> yeah so uh, i've been trying to parse through basically a hundred covers of that song and there's some super interesting ones like uncle tupelo does a cover that's really sweet um oh, there's like a ton of just hardcore punk and metal versions and then there's a ton of more electro and quiet, chill ones. So I'm trying to sequence them all. And I just had to break them out into kind of like subgenres to even try to track what makes sense to put together. Yeah, so, so I'll be Eric, posting that sometime. Yeah, so we'll, we should definitely post that um, to the Aqualam thing. I think that would be a cool playlist since we're talking sure. about it. What's your handle on Spotify, Eric? Are you- it's Lost Prop Info. Lost Prop? Yeah, info. Info. All right, so if you want to listen to the same song over and over, go to Eric's <laughs> Spotify. But I'm, I'm yeah. actually going to do this with the with one of these because... Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think we should hear. post it to Auckland. That's because yeah. that goes along with like this whole cover idea. And I think that's amazing you were doing that. But you're actually sequencing it, so it's like a cool thing to listen to. <laughs> yeah, so it actually feels like a playlist that you would want to listen to. I um, did that so uh, years ago because I like to cover songs sometimes when I play solo. I was doing that with the Wichita Lineman, and I was shocked oh, nice. to find how many covers of Wichita Lineman there are out there. And there's a ton that are awesome. Like There's a great Meters cover of that that I, I really love. Oh. I think it might be my favorite. I'm, I'm definitely like next, of course, out. the Glenn Campbell version, which is like the originals is great. Yeah. So uh, we just want to say thanks for everybody for listening. Uh, we're, we got a lot in the pipe works on this, these podcasts, a lot of interesting people we've been talking to or right now. It's kind of like the only thing keeping people sane. Um, so uh, definitely. Yeah. We'll see you next yeah. time. All right. Bye. See you guys. Thanks guys. Mm-hmm.